Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, okay, yeah, let's, uh, let's go with this. Okay. Uh, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immortality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness or orgies, and, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who, who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Wonderful. Thanks, Jared. Well, we are in the, uh, the final week of our series through the Holy Spirit. We spent eight weeks on it. Uh, and over the course of the last eight weeks, we have intentionally laid a foundation for future conversations of the Spirit that hopefully extend beyond our Sunday morning gatherings into our community groups, into our uh, just our, our regular dinners within our homes. We, we want it to be a part of everything that we do. We ask the question of who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, what is it to be a Spirit-empowered people, prophecy and gifts of the Spirit. And as we close this series, uh, I felt myself drawn to the writings of Paul and to the Galatian church. We were looking through the context of the book of Acts, and Acts 13 through 28 sees a shift in the perspective that's taken. The opening 12 chapters is the growth and the expansion and the miraculous beginnings of the early church through the lens of the first disciples. And then Acts 13 through 28 goes through the lens of Paul and the expansion of the church as his missionary work really begins. And he goes throughout the Roman Empire and we see the miraculous take place in the supernatural happenings all throughout his travels. But we also see the miraculous take place within the very being of Paul himself. If we remember in the story of Stephen the martyr who is stoned to death, Paul, known then as Saul, is present at that moment and he approves of it. He contributes to the dissension and, and the hatred and, and the envy that was present within those towards those part of the early church. This is who Paul, then known as Saul, was. And then we see something incredible happen. Later we see him humbly writing to churches in captivity. 
We see in places like Acts 27 where the most horrific of things takes place and he's shipwrecked on an island, he's bitten by a snake, and he's actually encouraging and lifting up those around him. Something took place within Paul that dramatically changed the course of his life. And not just in what he did and his purpose and his ministry, but in who he was. The world was impacted through his life, but his life was transformed by the Spirit. If you know the story of Paul, he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he places his trust in the Messiah of those who he is actively persecuting at the time. That is a transformation that takes place. You're going one direction and then completely different one in a blink of an eye. That's only by the power of the Spirit. In our text that was read for us today, we, we see that Paul is writing a description of what he sees happens when the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit really gets a hold of your life. He's writing about what it is to be a follower of Jesus and this picture of what our lives should look like. And here's the, the tension that we often run into when it comes to the biblical text, that it feels like a great idea, a nice thing to move towards, but it's often easier said than done. The fruit of the Spirit is, is, is love and patience. And I can only get that far because patience is as far as I can really go. Because I come to the end of it and I find myself longing for something else or overcome or overwhelmed and I don't even know where to go from there. I don't know about you, but reading that list of nine and hearing it, I, I don't particularly feel excited or encouraged right away. Maybe we get one or two of those in, in particular, but I want you actually to hear the way that it's written because it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit, it says fruit of the Spirit. It's not like there's nine different things and you try to adopt one of them that you grow in your life because of the Spirit. No, here's the one thing, the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the nine different aspects of what it is to flourish as we walk by the Spirit. Love without patience doesn't work. Gentleness without self-control is lacking. These aspects, they, they, they need each other. And I say this because I think we can get so caught up in the individual aspects of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul is writing about, but we forget that what he's actually focusing his attention on is what it is to live by the Spirit. And to live by the Spirit we need to experience change. And change is hard. It's one thing to talk about the Spirit and the ideas of the Spirit and theoretically what the Spirit wants to do, but what does it really look like to live by the Spirit? And this is what Paul is intentionally and unabashedly writing about. We all know just through day-to-day -day experience how slow, how complicated, and how difficult it process it is to change and grow as a human. Change is hard. Character change is hard. Our thought processes actually moving to a place of everyday action is difficult. It's not like I'll wake up one morning and then suddenly just be. It's, it's as if uh, Adriana is having a difficult time sleeping and I tell her, just think about sleep. 
and that's the solution. That is often how we treat our faith. And true story, I did actually try that. I was really tired. <laughs> but this is how we treat our faith. We, I, I've accepted Jesus. I, I've made a decision. I'm going to follow him. And now everything should change. In a blink of an eye, I should wake up the next morning and years upon years of deep character issues and flaws that I've been wrestling with should be gone in a blink of an eye. And Paul is writing and he's saying, it's actually not that easy and I see you in that. This is complicated. What, three years, four years, five years, a decade I found that the passage of time is not a guaranteed marker of growth and maturity. Because time goes by, and then we can still have things in our lives, issues and traits and patterns of thinking and character flaws and process problems and difficulties in how we treat people and actually navigate conflict. And they just keep coming back, and they just keep coming back, and they don't seem to go away, and we grow frustrated, and we feel as if we're failing the Christian walk. I would encourage you, we've read out of Galatians 5, but if you have a moment this week, it takes about 20 minutes to read through the book of Galatians. And what you're going to find is Paul is wrestling with this very real existence of what it is to be human and what it is to follow Jesus. He's very honest of the, the struggle that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. That even when we choose to follow Jesus, what do you do in the battle between the old you and the new you? This is exactly what Paul faces in his life and he's wrestling with. And so what he does in Ephesians 5 is he, in this really beautiful exposition, he, he outlines a long process of change and transformation to become more like Jesus. And he uses the metaphor of fruit. Yesterday my parents were doing some, some yard work and were planting some flowers and I was reminded, because I'm not particularly uh, privy to, some, to such acts, it's not, not my skill set, but I remember growing up, my grandparents in Calgary, they had immigrated from, from India, but they still wanted to have a, a beautiful garden. They took great pride in it. And in their backyard, they didn't just plant flowers, they planted vegetable and uh, vegetable plants and, and fruit plants. And I remember as a kid that I was the benefactor of all of those little details. I would go out back and pick all of the raspberries off the bush, even when they weren't ripened. And then my grandma would very kindly tell me, don't do that again. <laughs> but also let me eat all the ones that I picked. And then there would be strawberries and tomatoes and carrots, and it was just this beautiful litany of fresh fruit and vegetables for me to enjoy. And I remember that I, I would attempt to, try, uh, to help my, my grandpa. It's, like I said, easier said than done when you're that age. But here's what I know that he didn't do. He didn't just go to the seed store, plant it all, leave it for the summer, and expect it to be full of fruit. Would there be any fruit in his garden after it had been neglected all summer? Maybe one raspberry pops through and a whole lot of weeds. If we want to produce fruit. What do we have to do? We have to learn the patterns of watering, of planting, of, of 
plant specifics, of, of weeding, of learning how to spot mildew or mold, of how to deal with predators. We have to be a gardener. You and I have to be a gardener. Not only does it amount to a large amount of work to simply prepare the garden, but then you have to deal with the outside influences that you can't anticipate and which come and can decimate the garden. Here is, is what the fruit metaphor that Paul is using communicates for us. That if we are trying to bear fruit, how does fruit actually grow? Well, we learn in school that, that fruit doesn't simply grow because I think nice thoughts about it or I have good intentions toward it or that I do all the work around it. Fruit grows because of the power of the sun and photosynthesis taking place that causes growth and fruit and things that are outside of my control are impacting the ability for fruit to actually be born. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, fruit is always the miraculous, the created. It's never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only He can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of Him on whom their life depends. There's a whole thing going on that the gardener actually has no control over. So what's Paul getting at? And what he's saying is this. He says, I do not grow the fruit, but I can hinder the growth of fruit when I don't care for my garden. This is why Paul says well, we can grieve the Spirit, we can extinguish the work of the Spirit in our lives or in our church communities, that we can do all kinds of things that can actually immunize and minimize the work of the Spirit. And here's the thing, the gift of grace, the gift of God's sovereignty in our lives is that He's not a dictator, puppet master, causing all things to work exactly as He thinks are good, but rather He's a generous Father providing agency to our decisions. And sometimes those decisions don't care for the garden. And the fruit that is offered to us, the fruit that comes by the power of the Spirit outside the control of the gardener is not to its full flourishing possibility because of the decisions we walk in. In verse 16, we see another metaphor that's presented. And it's this metaphor of what it is to walk by the Spirit. And what it is to walk by the Spirit, what it's communicating is that life is a journey. I don't think I have to talk, tell you much more about that because we experience it every day. That life is full of a litany of decisions and moments and conflicts and relationships. It is a journey that happens over and over and over again. And the choices that we make are like steps on that journey. And what Paul is saying is that we have a choice of whether or not we're going to have the spirits with us in those choices. Remember that spirit is the same word for breath. It's, it's a sign of life. And in the New Testament, the way of talking about the spirit is the personal presence of God at work within our very being. That God is animating and breathing life into his people. That we are walking by his spirit. 
Because when we believe and place our trust in Jesus, something significant happens. We are awakened to this reality of the Spirit at work and animating the entire world and now residence within us. To walk by the Spirit is to be awakened to that reality. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13 that we are stamped, that we are marked by the Holy Spirit for today and for the rest of our lives. Once marked, what we do have control over is how much influence the Spirit actually gets in our lives. We, we've talked at length about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit can do, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, and the invitation that's given to us. And I think we're left with the final idea of how much space am I actually leaving within my life for the Spirit to do the work that the Spirit wants to do, to bear the fruit that the Spirit wants to bear in our lives. We control, we have control over how much the Spirit is going to be able to transform. And this is why Paul says that we don't want to grieve the Spirit. Don't minimize the influence of the Spirit, but be open. Don't extinguish the work of the Spirit. He says walk by the Spirit. And he tells us what we need to do because we, we can choose not to do it. And it's not as simple as, I can choose to believe or not to believe because you can give your life to Jesus. And you can do that for a long time. You can wear the t-shirt, go to the conference, build, build a house somewhere on a missions trip, but not walk by the Spirit simultaneously. And this is both sad and scary. And, and, I, and I don't say this as, as, as a fear-mongering tactic. But rather this is a byproduct, a, a consequence of action in our life. It's a natural consequence of personal choice. If you want fruit, you have to become a gardener. Don't expect the sun and photosynthesis to do the entire job. What we see in the text is someone who is walking by the Spirit, but understands the conflict that we experience in our daily lives. That even as followers of Jesus, we can find our feet in two different realities, in the flesh and in the Spirit. Paul uses the language of flesh and Spirit to talk about the conflict that we find on a day-to-day -day basis. And by flesh, he doesn't mean our physical body. Sometimes in, within Christian traditions, we can have a, a misconstrued understanding of what God means when he talks about our flesh and our body. He doesn't actually think our, our bodies are bad. In fact, Genesis 1.26 says that it's very good when he talks about his creation. He's created our bodies, that it is something he deems very good. When he's talking about the flesh, what he's talking about is that which has been infected, that which has been compromised in our physical world and vandalized by sin and evil. And this is what Paul means when he says the word flesh. That this is what creates conflict in our walk. In verse 17, he says fleshly desire what is, which is contrary to the spirit and vice versa. 
that they're in conflict with each other at all times. And, and we feel that. It can feel like big words, but it can, it's little moments as well. It's I have an interaction with someone and they start to speak to me in a certain way that rubs me the wrong way. And I know on, I've got this, this impulse that comes to the forefront of my mind that I could tell them off right now and teach them a lesson. I, I could let them know exactly how they have spoken to me in that moment and forget that moment, the last five times they've spoken to me as well. And I know it's going to hit them a little bit harder. And then we have another impulse comes in and we, we think back to a conversation where someone spoke to us in that manner and we thought to ourselves that that was not helpful, that was actually just incredibly hurtful. And this is all happening in a matter of, of seconds. And then we have a decision that we are left with where we have to actually step one way or the other by the flesh or by the spirit. This is, this is constantly at work within our very being. What kind of life am I going to live? I have one foot in the flesh, one foot in the spirit, and I am constantly experiencing that conflict. And there's so many factors, and it's simply hopeful thinking to expect a spirit-led response without a spirit-led life. To expect a fruit of the fruit of the Spirit when we don't have a commitment to the Spirit. We're going to talk about some of those specific works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. But hear me on this first. The hope here that Paul is presenting is not that we just go and do the fruit of the Spirit, which can be our natural inclination. The hope here is to recognize the realities of the world that would prevent you're flourishing. This is not about just suddenly having your moral compass turned in the right direction. That is not the, the goal here. Because in fact, to actually just do things for the sake of doing things will find us not doing those very things in the moments that matter. There's varying different definitions of flourishing. I was having a conversation with someone recently, and I used the language of flourishing, and they asked me, what do you mean by flourishing? What does that actually mean? Because a Western definition of flourishing has to do with financial success, status, and experience, and appearance. Those are the markers of flourishing within our, our Western culture. Even financial freedom is this misnomer meant to communicate the ability to do whatever we want, but you're actually really bound to the need for money to be happy. This is the way that flourishing has been played out. But biblical flourishing, the way that we are invited into life as the Spirit directs it, is when the fruit of the Spirit is alive in your life. There is plenty of individuals who have come forward after experiencing the long list of Western flourishing and said, I am not happy with my life. Love and peace are lacking. Hope and joy are absent. I lack self-control and I am just given over to the things that come my, to my mind day after day. And so this is what Paul is getting at. He wants to provide a master class in many ways of what it is to be a gardener. And not just a gardener so that your life looks good, but so that it bears the fruit of the Spirit and so that in turn we flourish. Flourish 
because of the fruit of the Spirit. And he starts this by pointing out weeds to watch out for and ones that can show up and harm a garden. So we're going to stick with that metaphor, so stay with me. There are three categories that he considers, and he begins with one of sex. And he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. And debauchery meaning a complete lack of self-control in sexual desire. Sexual immorality is language used by different authors in the New Testament, and they use the word to describe any act of sex that is not within the protective strength of a marriage covenant. The view of sex that we have been given by our culture likens the idea of sex to be physical appetite driven by an emotional experience that we can fill recreationally between consenting adults. That is the language of our culture. And that is roughly the portrait of sex that we're given. While biblical marriage is pointed at with mockery and even called oppressive by culture. Yet where culture would treat sex as recreational appeasement of emotional longing and physical desire, the biblical invitation of sex in a covenant relationship is actually the co-flourishing of spirit and body in shared commitment of love. This is, this is what the spirit actually wants to do. This, this is my, my brief thought on sex. What Paul is talking about here, why he's pointing to sex actually first is just very simply that it matters. Well, I think we're ignorant to say that it doesn't. We're ignorant to not talk about it. It's a part of our, our everyday lives and our thoughts and our conversations. And Paul is saying right off the bat, when we find ourselves locked into the desires of our flesh being the driving decision makers of our life, we will find that we have not cared for the garden in a way that allows the fruit of the Spirit to flourish. He's saying that our bodies matter. And he's saying that the Spirit is all about the redemption of all things including our bodies and the healing of our mind and our soul. The second category he gets to are acts of the flesh. And he identifies these two ideas of, of idolatry and witchcraft, not really 21st century terms that we use on, on the regular. But what he's pointing at is that we have given our allegiance over to something that is not truly God. And in fact, when he's talking about witchcraft and sorcery and acts of the flesh, what we have done is that we have moved towards a pursuit of power over all things. I place that which I feel comfortable with upon the throne of my life, and that's the idol I choose to follow because I want to have the power and the control. And then witchcraft is that I want to manipulate the spiritual realm for my personal benefit and exhibit the power over it so that I maintain that control. What Paul is pointing to is that our flesh craves control in a manner that it cannot actually hold it. It's power that it's in pursuit of. That's what that act of the flesh is. Who or what I worship to my liking and a manipulation of reality for my benefit. And the third category is the one that he gives the most attention to. 
And he, he actually lays out eight different pieces to it. And it's the most important one that he lays out for us. And it's one for every single one of us here. And it's our relational breakdown. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. Three or four, three or four of those is what happened on the car ride over this morning. This is what we're prone to. That our relationships break down. And we read a text like this and we often get so fixated on the, the language of sex and immorality and debauchery. And we don't see that these words are yelling at us to stop having hatred in your heart. Don't allow division to creep into your relationships. Is your ambition a selfish one or is it a serving one? Every one of these is about relational breakdown or character flaws that cause it. And he names eight of them here. And he's writing this letter to a group of churches in Galatia that are bitterly divided over contentious issues of of theology and practice because this is not an issue of religious and irreligious people. All of these things are present within the church. These things are actually about being human. In fact, you could meet the most religious people you know and still find that you see selfish ambition and hatred. So Paul lands here and he says, where are you living? In the flesh or in the spirit? And one way that you can look at that is look at the health of your personal relationships. And they're going to tell you a ton about whether your life is a friendly environment for the fruit of the Spirit to grow. And and the fourth category that he he briefly talks about, he talks about drunkenness and orgies. This has to do with the culture at the time, particularly the temple culture that was taking place in in Galatia, that often people would go to worship, and this is the acts that they would partake in. For us here today, the thing to note of that is what are the ways in which our culture lead us to worship are the false idols of the day? Productivity. Notoriety. What are the, the practices that seem to come just naturally associated with it? Something as, as baseline as business is a cutthroat business, so I will do what's best for me. That, that is a harmful thing to include that is actually of the flesh. Now, this is not the most encouraging sermon in the world. Uh, especially to, to spend time in, in this portion of it, I think can be ex- actually really discouraging. But Paul is relaying this not because he's asking us for perfection, but so that we can become trained as good gardeners. These are weeds that we need to pay attention to. Because remember, as gardeners, what one thing we can do is we can start pulling some of the weeds. In verse 22, he gets a little bit brighter and he gives us the opposite. And he says, remember, this is what we do in the flesh. We do the works. And this is what we do in the spirit we, when we want to grow in our lives is we partner with the spirit and we bear fruit And there's nine different facets of one thing. I'm going to go through them quickly. He talks about love, and it's to live sacrificially, even when it's undeserved. He talks about joy, living from hope, 
even when you can't see it. It talks about peace, finding rest in all moments and not the absence of conflict. It talks about patience. The language they, we read this morning was forbearance, being content in God and showing patience. It talks about goodness, placing God first, faithfulness, living like Christ, being steady, gentleness, living from grace and being kind, self-control, being surrendered. This is what it is, the nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But you notice where all of them actually lead us towards the fruit of the Spirit is to look like Christ. The most flourishing way to be human in this world is to look like Christ. And all of these aspects are overwhelming. No wonder it has to be the miraculous transforming work of the Spirit that actually causes it to come alive within our very being. That you and I have actually created good ground. We've worked the soil. We pulled out weeds and we made space and now fruit is starting to flourish. Love comes where hatred was. Self-control starts to birth where our passions were leading the charge. Peace comes in in the most unexpected of moments. And I think it's funny that one of the aspects is self-control because self-control is actually about surrender. So who's, in, who's really in control? This is the invitation that we're given, that the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, comes when we become the gardeners we're invited to be. That we, we, do, we do the work that we can do. We work the soil. And maybe we work the soil means that we, we, we hear the gospel over and over again. You turn it over so that you see that, oh, there's new life. There's new life. There's new possibility. And you do that over and over and over again. You plant good seed. You, you sit in community. You, you read scripture. You, you engross yourself in prayer. And then you remove the weeds. You, you remove things that allow deep distortions to our character. And we put, we put barriers in our life to protect us against that which is of the flesh that might harm us. And in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he actually says, execute, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And, and this is what happens. When we work the soil, when we plant the seed, when we remove the weeds, we've actually begun the work of gardening our lives so that the fruit of the Spirit, the sun beams down with this impossible energy that works the process that we have no control of and fruit starts to come to life in the most unexpected of ways. And that's in our intentional moments. What happens then in our unintentional moments where we feel like we've been harmed or treated poorly? That's when we see where our feet are actually planted. Is it in the flesh or is it in the spirit? Someone sp spoke poorly to you, treated you unfairly, and you feel incredibly hurt by it, and your response is one of love, you have done the gardening well. You, you feel like life is going in the direction that you want it to go, and then everything gets thrown out of sorts and you experience peace you were gardening well. Because it comes not by our own intention or will, but it comes by the power of the Spirit that has done a good work in our life. And perhaps the most difficult 
piece of gardening, and I'm not a, a gardener, so if you're going to come up to me afterward and tell me that's not the most difficult piece, but I feel like for our lives is, is uprooting the weeds. It's naming the beast that constantly wants to be fed. The, f- the flesh, the flesh is always willing to be fed. And we can find it overwhelming and daunting and beyond our capacity to do anything but give ourselves over to it. And perhaps what we can start to do is even this morning be really honest and just name that which you know is within your story and it's minimizing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Worship team, you can join me at the front. The fruit of the Spirit isn't a good work or an intention. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to start doing some gardening. We need to start creating environments in our lives for the power of the Spirit to make us a new creation, living like Jesus in our lives today. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. It's the breath of God breathing into our lives. And all these metaphors that Paul uses of fruit, of walking in the Spirit, it is the ways in which the Spirit actually works in our life. Gives you the vitality and animates our very being so that we can walk like Jesus walked bears fruits in our life so that we can respond and live like Jesus lived. The Spirit always leads us to the person of Jesus. The Spirit always wants to breathe new life into our very being. And so when we find ourselves with feet stuck in the flesh and feet and one foot in the flesh and one foot in the spirit. Remember that it's the, it's the works, it's the work of doing the weeds and the removal of them that we need to be aware of. Because what Paul says is that we crucify our desires. And we see the cross come to the middle of this, this intersection of the flesh and the spirit and the cross sits in the middle And it provides a hope for tomorrow that it blocks off the flesh. And it says, this shall be no more. And I'm going to provide you a path into what can be. A path to the Spirit. The fruits of grace. The fruits of of Jesus at work in our life. City Collective, we have been given a gift in the person of Jesus to find life and life fully and we are not left to our own devices to pursue it by works or good intentions but we are invited each and every day to prepare good soil to guard in our lives uproot the weeds so that fruit might come to be and it's going to feel miraculous I never thought that I could feel love in this way love is possible for you My life feels like a tumultuous mess. I have no hope. Hope is possible for you. Even what we're hearing from Adela. That those women, that's working the soil. When they hear the gospel, when they hear the good news of Jesus provided to their lives, that's working the soil. 
And what did they experience when they worked the soil? They experienced the fruit of the Spirit. They experienced hope. The impossibility of hope in hopeless circumstances. I wonder where you feel it is impossible that you might offer that to Jesus today. And that the Spirit could give it to you in the manner that you need. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we offer this moment to you for every person that's here that is naming the, the beast the, of the flesh that they are wrestling with. That which feels like it's coming over and over and over again and feels overwhelming. We pray that you would place new boldness and new courage, new possibility within our very being and that we would be reminded that Jesus came for every single person here to provide life and life to the fullest, gave himself to the cross, defeated death itself, rose to new life and invites us to crucify our desires so that we might rise to new life with him. To crucify our flesh and walk by the Spirit. as complicated as it can feel, I pray in this moment there would be a simplicity of your presence that meets us. And if there was even one fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit, the aspect that we heard this morning that we just immediately pushed away, I, I pray that you would draw that back into our mind. We just glossed over peace because it doesn't make sense right now. Bring the peace. We just glossed over self-control because it, it hasn't been a thing for us for a long time. We just pray, pray for self-control. Gentleness has not, not been a, a piece of our family history, so we don't even associate that with our name, let alone even consider it for ourselves. So I pray that gentleness comes into the equation. So spirit, bear fruit. Find soil in our lives that is, that is ready for fruit to come forward. And the places in which the flesh is overwhelming, I pray that there would be a breakdown of all boundaries, of all barriers, of all hurts, and that there would just be a freshness and a new life that comes out of it. The Spirit of God, you do the work this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.